there's this image presented that everybody always has everything worked out, this plan, and then A to B, B to C. And it seems to me that real life is a lot more random. And I don't mean that as, as a cop-out or in a pejorative sense, but just a lot less linear and a lot more ambiguous. The son of two State Department parents, Mark Griffin knew that public service was in his blood, but also recognized he'd become accustomed to variety. Worried a career in law might pigeonhole him, he actually stumbled into a career that has kept him interested and involved in lots of things. Find out how keeping your thinking broad and following connections ultimately helps you find your way on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. I'm here today with Mark Griffin, and we are going to talk about taking a path and seeing where it leads us. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Sure. So I start these the same way every time, and it's the same two questions. And the questions are, when we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? Lord, who was I? When I came to college, I was a guy who, well, let me provide, I guess, a little background without going too far back. My parents worked for the State Department, so... Uh, before Dartmouth, I'd only spent four years in the States, in the uh, D.C. burbs in Maryland. And I came to Dartmouth straight out of boarding school in Austria. And I kind of applied to Dartmouth without ever visiting the campus. I did early action or whatever it was. It doesn't exist any longer. Anyway. It was mountains. Oh, no. Yeah. Mountains, mountains. <laughs> look good. The brochure looked good. Yeah. Perhaps not the best way to go through life, but, you know, it, it worked out. This is kind of a recurring theme, I guess. So I came and I kind of was perhaps a bit wide-eyed and kind of thinking, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that, um, but definitely unfocused. Unlike a lot of the other, uh, you know, our classmates, I definitely had did not have some grand vision, shall we say, or at least that's what it came across to me at the time, right? So I kind of just popped up, was this dude going through a little bit of culture shock, coming back to the States, et cetera, um, in this place, but uh, it reminded me a bit of boarding school, but then a lot more freedom, and I loved the intellectual freedom. It was, uh, I kind of stumbled into my double majors. My parents being with the State Department, government interested me, political science, but then I stumbled into philosophy because back then we had the first year writing requirement. And the only thing that was available was a writing course on Descartes. And that actually worked out and turned me on to philosophy. So you could say I was uh, perhaps inadvertently on a quest of discovery. Was yeah. that yeah perhaps, okay but not necessarily conscious of it right and so <laughs> you took advantage of this you know almost uh, serendipitous leading you into mm -hmm. philosophy cobbled this double major and still you had to leave it wasn't going to be this <laughs> intellectual like nirvana forever so as you were approaching the end were you still in that I'm I'm still searching for who I am and what I want or were you crystallizing at least a first step notion of what that would be? Oh, I'll be honest. Uh, I mean, crystallizing is such a polite term, uh, right? Uh, at least certainly for anything going on at my end. We were senior year, kind of looking around, thinking, what in the blue hell do I do now? And uh, I 
flipped into law, but a lot of the people who were, quote, pre-law at the time seemed a little more aggressive, type A, than I am. Those who know me generally know that I'm not particularly type A, not one of those. So I was looking around, and I came across, uh, again, literature about programs in public policy, public admin. I thought, oh, applied political science. That sounds interesting. Let me apply to programs because I need marketable skills, Leslie. Because <laughs> with a right. government and philosophy double major, I had absolutely no idea what in the Sam Hill I would do out there in the world. Uh, again, perhaps not the best way to proceed. So I applied to a variety of programs, ended up getting accepted at Cornell, went there. Actually, again, a serendipitous choice, a small program, but an excellent education. And that is perhaps where certain things started to crystallize a little more. I realized that people making policy and dealing with policy often had law degrees. So after graduating there, toyed with the idea of law school, got a gig as a paralegal with Kirkland & Ellis, a large Chicago-based uh, law firm with their litigation house in uh, their office in D.C., working on forced and slave labor litigation stemming out of Second World War, which was its own little thing. And after about a year and a half there, got my ducks lined up, applied to law school, went to Michigan, which was a great experience, and then kind of fell into, I mean, I've always been a public sector boy, so you could say that's who I am, if you will, public servant, ended up working in New York, you know, starting off my real legal career in Western New York and Rochester at an intermediate appellate court as a staff attorney, then did a short gig as an assistant public defender, which was very educational, and then met my now wife there at a wedding. It was actually Shervin's wedding. She was a bridesmaid and... The people who kind of connected us, if you will, a bit of an embarrassing story, were um, Jeff Brasiak, 96's wife, Angela, and then David Villarama, 96. And I'll just say that he was drunk at the time. And <laughs> despite his best matchmaking efforts, we ended up you know, doing the long distance thing. She's originally from the city. We did the long distance thing for two years and then had the discussion of where things are going. Uh, I ended up moving into her apartment, needed a gig, and literally stumbled into campaign finance, which is what I've been doing since April 2008. So you seem to have really good stumbling ability um, yes. and, and stumbling into things that <laughs> suit you. So um, how does one just stumble into campaign finance? And then what does that look like? So I'd never heard of either campaign finance or the New York City Campaign Finance Board, um, but the job description looked interesting. Uh, a variety of work, which for attorneys is kind of novel, because often you get so specialized, you mm. operate in a very narrow space, and sometimes to, to some extent what you do is narrow. So I ended up interviewing, ended up getting the gig, and have been with it since April 08, which is a lot longer than ever expected. Again, I didn't really have an expectation of staying, sticking with something or being in the space. And 
it's been interesting because I spent the first roughly eight and a half years doing enforcement mostly. And then since 20, early 2017, I've been doing more policy focused work, which is great because that's kind of the area I'd like to be in uh, policy and uh, providing more counseling advice rather than going to court. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, stumbling, um, I think looking back and kind of thinking about this more big picture, I would say some of the stumbling was simply due to the fact that I never had a mentor of any kind, a professional mentor. And getting older, I've realized the importance of that in terms of having somebody who's just outside who can at least say whether something sounds crazy or not. And I think some of it was also just getting education lined up and being able to get your foot in the door and do stuff and be engaged. I mean, kind of going back to Dartmouth, the double major was very useful because what I found is, uh, especially dealing with things like policy and policy implementation, there are a lot of moving parts. And if you only look at things one way, you can lose sight of other things that can come into play. And then you can have unexpected Often there are unexpected consequences, even if everybody has the best of intentions and you could set things in motion that you don't really want to. Going back to the philosophy major, also being perhaps a little more open to questioning why things are done a certain way and being more open to revisiting why and asking, well, this was set up a certain way and it made sense back then, but are the reasons for that now still valid. I mean, are the is the environment the same or have things fundamentally changed and now this is more of a problem? So I think, you know, obviously the world has changed radically since we graduated as well. Um, I don't think any of us could have really conceived of this. So, uh, but yeah, I think uh, fortune to some extent played a, a part in this, but also, you know, um, taking advantage of opportunities, the educational opportunities, uh, Networking at Dartmouth, making connections. I'm still in touch with a bunch of people from school, and some of my closest friends are obviously from those four years. Yeah. So I just, I'm going to, you know, play armchair psychoanalyst or something, but I'm wondering if you didn't actually mention your life with your State Department parents, but it sounds like my guess is when I think of that, an itinerant youth of like changing things um, frequently. And I'm wondering how your decision making process, like to go to law school, many of us would think, okay, there's law school and then there's a career in law that sounds very monolithic and, mm-hmm. you know, one sided. And even you said, you know, you special, you tend to specialize and then you're kind of stuck in that mm-hmm. place. So is there something in your past that makes you think about the way you've made decisions, maybe in light of that or? Probably, probably. The system has changed with the State Department, but when my parents were working, you know, you had a tour overseas and the normal tour was only two years. You could get it extended by another tour. So it meant that the longest we stayed in one place was four years at a mm. time, but usually we moved every two years. Now, that's changed because of uh, financial reasons. They realized moving people every two years is perhaps not the best way. So now you're stuck four years where it is, wherever it is. It gave us the advantage of seeing a bunch of different pla- living in a bunch of different places. But it also meant that you're, so- I mean, I when people ask me what's my hometown, I don't actually feel that I have one. Mm-hmm. 
now. Um, I mean, going home for me is a, it is kind of home is where the heart is, right? Without sounding overly trite about it, but there's no geographic place where I say, oh, amen, hallelujah. Um, I think it also open made me a bit more willing to kind of relocate. I mean, I'd never heard of Rochester, New York, but I ended up working there for three years. And I never intended to move to the New York city metropolitan area simply because of the large population. I'd visited friends in Manhattan and enjoyed visiting, but always thought it was just too much humanity. <laughs> I, I know that sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, well, you're up in the mountains. I'm, I'm envisioning you and Maria von Trapp. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We actually, um, total tangent here, the house that they filmed The Sound of Music in was within walking distance of our boarding school. Oh um, it wasn't the real Van Trapp house. Right, 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 right. But yeah, yeah. So random stuff. But uh, I've come to realize that, uh, you know, in, in real life, when you get out of school, et cetera, having everything, quote, planned out or figured out from the get go is not necessarily how most people operate or how it actually works out. People have plans and then, uh, you know, chaos, I guess we'll just say, uh, kind of throw some things in. It could be health, it could be kids, it could be meeting someone, or it could be landing that gig that you didn't realize would resonate with you and suddenly you find yourself off somewhere um, spooning with octopi in the, uh, in the ocean because you're saving them and you discover they're intelligent and you know this is what resonates with you. Um, I, I will make one observation. I've been quite impressed by what uh, Kelsey Grimm has done with her... Uh, conservation efforts mm -hmm. over the years yeah. i mean my god commitment amazing quite in contrast to the guy who had no plan ended up at a gig now going on 13 years never envisioned that so yeah but the thing is she didn't have a plan either and so we're a few dozen episodes <laughs> into this podcast and if there's one recurring theme it's like either you have a plan that goes awry or you have a you don't have a plan. And and what we've all been thinking is everybody else had a plan. <laughs> and no, 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 we didn't. No one, which, which is, I guess, good. Yeah. And I hope for the younger generation, perhaps they realize this, I think, in, I don't want to say popular culture, but more broadly, everything, you know, there's this image presented that everybody always has everything worked out, this plan, and then A to B, B to C. And it seems right. to me that real life is a lot more uh, random. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that as, as a cop-out or in a yeah. pejorative sense. but Just, just less, less linear. A lot less linear um, and a lot more ambiguous. I think ambiguity is what kind of strikes me. Um, at this point, I'm happy that I'm in the space I'm in. Um, you know, like I said, I was fortunate to land a job where I could do a variety of work because for attorneys, again, you often get very specialized and it gets narrow and that can, I'm not saying that the work isn't complex, but emotionally it can become a bit of a rut because you feel mm -hmm. that the wheel to some extent just keeps turning. Um, and I've also had the fortune of ending up having great coworkers. So I'd say one of the revelations that came to me, you know, I used to think, well, if the work is great, I can handle anything. But the older I get, the more I've discovered it's important that the people you work with are important. And that makes the difference between, you know, slogging through a tough week and wanting to say to hell with this, mm -hmm. you know, I can 
go golfing, fishing, or binge whatever streaming service makes me happy or put together models. Uh, so, you know, again, nothing particularly profound there or earth shattering, but I think that's been one awakening I, I did have over the last few years. Okay. Put together models? Is that a that didn't sound like it was just a pie in the sky. Let me let me say something. What's what's this about? My my wife way back in the day used to put together models. I've got no skills. Oh, Anybody okay. who knows me knows I've got I have zero zero skills. I mean, I, I, I did love the, the, the jewelry workshop and I admire the three workshops they have in the hop, the jewelry workshop, the wood shop, and the costume shop, but I got no skills. I pretty much die in any frontier town um yeah it wouldn't well, luckily be pretty you're, you're in the metroplex so you'll be all I right know. i know so all right so you said that you'd like to do more policy are there are there ambitions that you have now or are you kind of in this philosophical state of mind that like what will be will be and i'm gonna ride it as it comes uh i mean i'm fortunate enough to be in a pension system, so I'm keeping one eye on that, especially given, shall we say, some of the lack of stability in the world that we've seen in the last decade or so. So I'd like to have that little thing because I have no idea what the future looks like, but I think down the line I want to pivot roles to something a little more involved with strategic level decision making. I'm not particularly interested in being the head cheese, but I'd like to influence the decision making, especially for mission-oriented entities. I'm not in it for the profit. I want to work for an outfit that's got a very specific mission. Could be related to public health or resilience to environmental change, things like that. Or even democracy slash civil society, because I think there I, mean, I think what we more recently saw in January to me is symptomatic of a much bigger problem, a lack of civic engagement, but also a grotesque failure of civic education across the board that goes back decades, just Amen. decades. I mean, mm -hmm. finger pointing is easy, but when people don't understand how things work and kind of working in the campaign finance and election space, I am aware that this is a huge, just a huge problem. I think it's critical that people understand how the mechanics of elections work, the logistics, all of those horrible details, because it is almost a logistical exercise and people mm -hmm. don't realize that. And, and also how government works. People often literally don't know what the structure of their local government is or their state government or regional government if we want to be international and don't understand where to go if they need help or that help for certain things services are available. Um, and I think this is just a grotesque failure, especially since we're in the information age. Well, that sounds like a way you can certainly add some strategic thinking where it's needed. So I think this is it's been a great road to to hear how you've stumbled. It, it doesn't sound like a stumble from those who are watching it from afar, but stumbles take you forward anyway. Right. Yes, I guess I'm the stumbler if you will. The, <laughs> the fortuitous stumbler. Well, we're glad you're one of us and that it's worked out for you so far. Mark, thanks so much for sharing your journey with us. Thank you, Leslie. That was Mark Griffin, Associate Counsel at the New York City Campaign Finance Board. His career focus has been on political and administrative law, regulatory compliance, and policy implementation. Mark keeps stumbling into good things, and we hope you've enjoyed stumbling onto our classmate stories. To make sure you don't miss any, please subscribe at roadstakenshow.com or wherever you find your podcasts.
and join me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, for the next episodes of Roads Taken.